Well, welcome back, everybody. Um, can we get that Slido back up there, please, Grace? We're going to have a quick look at that. Thank you all for your input. Um, there's some interesting thoughts up there. Uh, we can see lots of great things that we are looking forward to in heaven. Or are we? There's, you can see there's the major things which we love with God, peaceful, perfect, joyful. People are voting that. Cheesecake. Oh, we had cheesecake at our um, growth group uh, breakup last night. It was delicious. I'm looking forward to lots of cheesecake and it not affecting the body so badly. Like running without knee pain. Yes, amen. That would be good. All these good things. Um, I'm not sure what 29477255. Maybe that's the phone number of heaven. Who knows? We'll see. But look, there's a lot of stuff up there, but there's, there were other things. I saw streets of gold and all sorts of things. Dogs are going to be in heaven. Yeah. Spurs winning the treble. Maybe that's the only time we'll get to see that in heaven. Who knows? Look, uh, there's lots of thoughts up there. We'll go back to the, um, the slides. Thank you, Grace. As we think about what heaven will be like, there's lots of competing views out there. And there's a lot of uncertainty in our culture and even in our churches at times about what our future is going to be for us who believe in Jesus. There's lots of things. There's things like, you know, big visions of being transported into a cloud-like existence with angels and pearly gates. Even pop culture movies like Bruce Almighty has this white, sterile place with Morgan Freeman playing God. Is that what heaven's going to be like? And we start thinking about these things and these white, sterile things and go, actually, well, are we just going to float around on a cloud forever and won't that be boring? But then maybe, you know, there's lots of singing in heaven. Won't, won't, won't heaven just be like one long church service going on for an eternity? And as much as James might like to preach that long, I'm not sure that's many people's view of a perfect eternity. But then, doesn't Jesus promise a mansion as well? This one's for you, yes. We get to have mansions, or do we? There's lots of things to think about. Maybe we should ask people who've been there. And, well, there are some books that claim that people have been there. Heaven tourism books, as they're called. People who say they've gone, died, gone to heaven and come back to tell the tale. Unfortunately, a lot of it's dubious. And even Kevin Malarkey, who wrote this book, says it's all a load of Malarkey, his version at least. I did not die. I did not go to heaven. I said I went to heaven because I thought it would get me attention. When I made the claims that I did, I had never read the Bible. People have profited from lies and continue to. They should read the Bible, which is enough. The Bible is the only source of truth. Anything written by man cannot be infallible. Right. So why don't we listen to what um, Kevin says this time and let's go to the Bible. Let's actually go to the only source of truth to think about what eternity might be like. What will heaven be like? But I'm going to start with a spoiler. If we're wondering about where we will be for eternity, this is the wrong question. Heaven is not where we end up. And we're going to see that as we explore the Bible. You know, a disembodied, floaty eternity in mansions on a cloud, that's not the Bible's vision for our future as God's people. 
We want to get to the right question. But to do that, let's start with looking at what heaven is. Heaven's in the Bible. Let's read the Bible and find out what the Bible says heaven is before we get to the right question. And why don't we start in the beginning where God created the heavens and the earth. This word here for heavens, it's actually throughout the Old Testament, Old Testament's written in Hebrew, the word for heaven and heavens, it's the same word. And it's actually always plural. So it's only in the context that we work out whether it is heavens, you know, that blue thing where all the birds fly or the stars up there, or heaven, God's place where he resides. So that's important for us to realise as we dig into what the Old Testament said about heaven and think through this thing. Later in Genesis, we hear Melchizedek talking to Abraham and saying, blessed be Abraham by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. So heaven is created, just like the earth is. We're also starting to see here the pattern of what heaven is paired with throughout the Bible, heaven and earth. I mean, normally when we say heaven and, what do we think of? Heaven and hell, Hell, yes. Heaven and hell, we think that's the natural pairing. But actually, there is nowhere in the Bible that they are literally paired together. Heaven and earth are the natural pairings, and that's important. Let's dig into that a bit more. As we go now to the poetry of Psalms, where the Lord says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. So we're seeing here that heaven, that's God's space, where he rules and reigns from. And then we're here on earth. We're starting to get a bit of an image of heaven and earth and what's going on here. And actually, we're going to go to some images now from a really helpful video by the Bible Project, which I'd encourage you to check out. I'll pop it up on Facebook a bit later on. But we're starting to get a picture that heaven is God's space and earth is our space. And in fact, you'll find nowhere in the Old Testament there is a sense where God's people get to go to heaven. That's not the conception. The conception is that heaven will come to earth just as it was in the beginning. Because in the beginning, heaven and earth were there together in the Garden of Eden, completely overlapped. God was with his creation. His presence, his goodness were completely part of earth and all was very good. But then sin came broke that. The relationship was broken. Now heaven and earth are separate, different dimensions of reality, separated because of the sin in the world, because of us as human beings. But as you can see there, there's an overlap. And the overlap happens in the temple. More specifically, in the Holy of Holies, this cube-shaped room inside the tabernacle or temple. And that's the place where God resides. A holy place that's inaccessible without the correct blood sacrifice. That's this holy place in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. That's where heaven touches earth. And then... We get to the end of the Old Testament and we come to the New Testament. Jesus comes. 
as we just sung, the incarnate Son of God came down from heaven to earth to bring God's presence to a sinful world. The temple had never been a perfect place, but Jesus had come to do a new work. As it says in John 2, here's some Jews challenging Jesus, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. You're going to raise it in three days? They think, look at this building. There's no way you can build that in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. Jesus came to be the true temple, the place where heaven touches earth. It's why Jesus, in all his preaching, proclaimed this kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus was bringing it close. And all his preaching, all his parables, they're about this kingdom. They're proclaiming that it was more accessible than it had ever been because Jesus had come and it was through him we would have access. And that blood sacrifice required to enter the holiest of places, to enter God's presence, to get that taste of heaven. He fulfilled that on the cross, dying, shedding his blood so that we can now have access to God's presence, access to heaven. In Ephesians 1, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. God's plan is, is to unify heaven and earth once again. Bring it all together under Jesus Christ and we can be part of that. And now, finally, we come to our Bible reading. Narelle, could you please come up and read for us Revelation 21? Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, 
and they will be my children. Thank you, Narelle. So this is the culmination of the Bible story. A new heavens and a new earth. Heaven and earth reunited. The culmination of all that God has planned. Heaven and earth united once again under Christ. So it turns out that Belinda Carlisle was right when she sang heaven is a place on earth. That's something for the old people here. (laughs) But it brings us back to the question, what will heaven be like? We can start to see now that this, if if we're wondering what our eternal existence will be like as believers, this is the wrong question. The question we should be asking is, what will the new heaven and earth be like? And the Bible reading Narelle gave us is something we can explore to look into that. Let's start. Revelation 21.1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. It's clear. This is it. A new heaven and earth. A resurrected heaven and earth. Better than before. It says there's no sea. Don't worry, sea lovers. That's a metaphor for chaos. And this is important for us to realise because we're actually reading apocalyptic literature here. It's a really specific type of literature in Revelation. It tends towards frequent use of figurative language. It prefers symbolic descriptions of the realities it describes. It presents truths, but in symbolic terms, that appeal to the imagination, as we'll see. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. A new Jerusalem, a holy city, our destiny where we will live as God's people. But what's this city really like? And is it wearing a dress? It's, again, it's apocalyptic. Later in Revelation 21, you can read on, and it describes this city, and it's actually 12,000 stadia high, 12,000 stadia wide and 12,000 stadia long. It's a giant cube, 2,200 kilometre cube. If it was on this earth, it would look like this. That's that's crazy and mind-blowing. But again, it's apocalyptic. What's it mean? Well, 12,000 stadia, that's 12,000 stadiums, 12. 12 is the number of God's people. 12 tribes of Israel, 12 disciples. And then a 1,000. A 1,000 is lots of something. So if you've got 12,000 by 12,000 by 12,000, this cube, it's representing a perfect city of the complete number of all of God's people. There's going to be lots of us there, all of God's people. All that he wants will be there in this city. But the fact that it's a cube points to something else. Remember the Holy of Holies? We look at this picture here. This is a picture of the temple that Solomon built. And you can see there, that's the temple. Up the back there, this little room, that's, that's the Holy of Holies. And it's a cube shape, remember? It's 20 cubits by 20 cubits by 20 cubits. And that was where God's presence was on earth. So as we look to this new city, we can see... God's presence, God dwelling with his people, 
now again like it was and like it always should be. God will dwell with us. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. God will dwell with us in a real, embodied way. Right now, we have the Holy Spirit as a seal guaranteeing this future. But in the new creation, it'll be fully realised. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Gone is the curse. All the crap's gone. Death, pain, crying. It's all gone. We're starting to imagine a picture of what existence for all believers will be like. This is a great thing to dwell on. Let's think about these things. Let's, let's imagine it. And even though it's apocalyptic and it's, it's wild and crazy at times, it's meant to spark our imagination. But in the midst of it, there's things we can know. There are truths being declared through it. So let's go through a bunch of the truths about what this new heaven and new earth will be like. What are the things we can cling on to? First, there will be no more curse, no more death. Think of your greatest pain. It will be no more. Think of your greatest grief. It will be no more. Think on death itself. It will be no more. Everything in this world that is cursed will be no more because the old order of things has passed away. This is a new heavens, a new earth, a perfected one. And we're going to truly dwell with God, as we've seen. God's dwelling place now amongst the people. God will be more present with us than ever. God will walk amongst us and we will dwell together forever. Wow, ponder on that. And for us, too, it will be an embodied existence. Not a floating soul thing. Let's read this in Philippians 3. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Our eternal state as believers will be a resurrected body, a body like the resurrected Jesus. And if we think of the stories of him after his resurrection, he was clearly recognisable. People knew it was him. He still bore the scars of, of the life before, but without doubt, they knew this was Jesus. And that will be us too. We will be resurrected. We'll be uniquely us. We'll recognise each other. We'll have this body that's better. And I think, I mean, Jesus did all sorts of stuff with his resurrected body that we can't fully know what it's going to be like. In 1 Corinthians 15, it actually describes it like this, that this body we have now is like a seed. The resurrection bodies to come are the plant that comes from it. Both, in essence, are the same, but one is so much greater than the other. Our resurrection body, while still being truly us, 
will also be so much more. I mean, we think on the resurrected Jesus. He could, he could suddenly appear inside locked rooms. Could he walk through walls? Could he teleport? We can't fully understand or know this, but it's like us as a seed, wondering what's going to be like as a plant. I can't wait for this ageing body to be renewed and be free from the pain and suffering and to be so much more. It's wonderful to imagine what our renewed, perfected body like our Lord Jesus will be like. We'll all have that in the new heavens and the new earth. And there we will be true family. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. If you're a believer here, you are already God's child, but in the new creation, we will be God's children in a perfected state. We'll be God's family. We'll be an intimate family. That's perfect in every way. I mean, when we think about what it means to be true family, there's some things we can know. Like Jesus says, there's not going to be any marriage in heaven. But our relationship to God and each other will be even better than the intimacy of a really good marriage. There'll probably be no sex in heaven. We don't need to procreate, but we will know God and each other in a way that is better than the best sex out there. There's going to be joys in my new creation. In the new creation, we will relate to each other as a perfect family. My wife will be my sister. My daughters will be my sisters as we come together as God's family. Things transform, but we will know and love each other in intimate ways, better than the best relationships we can know in this life. A future family that is perfect. And there's true feasting. In Revelation 19, it says, The angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. We think about, like a number of Jesus' parables reflect on this wedding feast to come in the kingdom of God. Here we see it's a wedding feast of the lamb. That's Jesus himself. And marriage, we see it in Ephesians. It it ultimately points to the relationship between Jesus and us, his church, his people. We'll be like that perfect marriage And we'll be at that wedding feast and in the new creation it will be time of feasting on all the goodness of a perfected creation. And there will be true rest. We all know that at death we wish for people to rest in peace. For those who are resurrected into the new creation we will get true rest and true peace. If you look into Hebrews 4, it talks about our true Sabbath rest being found in Jesus alone. But even though it'll be restful and peaceful, that doesn't mean we'll laze around and do nothing. In the new heavens and the new earth, we will still work. There will be work, there will be service. Revelation 22, 3, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. Who are the greatest in the kingdom of God? Those who serve. And so it will be in the new creation. We will serve Jesus. We will serve each other. 
There is work to do, but it'll be perfected work without any of the frustrations we have with work here and now. We will reign with Jesus forever and ever. There'll be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. We're going to reign with Jesus forever and ever. We have a job to do to continue to steward the new creation. These are just some of the things we can know about what is to come. Like the seed pondering what the plant is going to be like, we can imagine this great new creation will be and our role in it. And that's, that's what apocalyptic literature is asking us to do, just to spark our imagination, spark our thinking. What might this be like? It tells us truths. And then we let our imaginations run wild. I mean, when, when James asked me which sermon I wanted to preach this term, I went, I went straight to heaven. Gary can have sin. Um, <laughs> I'm going to heaven. This has been a privilege and an honour to read and, and think and ponder and imagine deeply about what it's going to be like for all believers in the new creation. It is so good. So let's keep imagining. Imagine what it's like like C.S. Lewis does. If you know the Narnia books, he has the last book in the series is The Last Battle. And when the last battle is all said and done, there is a division of creatures and all who are on the side of Aslan get to, get to enter through this doorway into the new Narnia. So why don't we have a reading? Let's imagine together. You might want to close your eyes, imagine this, the difference between the old Narnia and the new Narnia. The new one was a deeper country. Every rock and flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. I can't describe it any better than that. If you ever get there, you will know what I mean. It was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed and then cried, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we loved the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this. And then the book ends. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been a cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever and ever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Imagine that. An eternal future where this life is merely the title page, where every chapter is going to be better than the one before, and it never, ever ends. This is an amazing, glorious future. This is fantastic. And that's what the new heavens and the new earth will be like. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we should look forward to this with joy, with glee, and with real hope. It's not some disembodied, floaty existence on the clouds. It combines a truly earthy, earthy and a truly heavenly existence without the curse that we have now. And it can start you imagining. I mean, I love to travel. I love going to see new places, see parts of God's creation and marvel at what he has done and, and the people and the cultures. 
It's amazing getting out and about in this world. I know a lot of people here love to travel. But as I get older, I'm starting to realise I'm not going to get to go and see all the places I would love to see in this world. I just won't have time. But as I've pondered about the new heavens and the new earth, I realise it doesn't matter. I have eternity to explore the new heavens and the new earth as they come together, and it will be perfect and perfected. There'll be no COVID shutdowns, no flight delays. Can you imagine that? It'll just be joyful, a joyful experience alongside true brothers and sisters in Christ, seeing everything God has made and giving praise to him for it. But, but then again, I'll be transformed. My desires will be perfected. Maybe I won't want to travel as much. Maybe I'll have great service to do for God right where I am. And I won't care because it'll be better. This is the thing, sort of things we can start thinking about. As we know what we can know about the hope we have in Christ, the future that we do have, we can start to imagine what it's going to be like forever with Jesus in the new creation. Now to finish, I've got two quick things and then three implications for us all. Two things I think we need to address because some of the questions, especially had questions about this, the intermediate state. Where do we go when we die now before Jesus comes back again? What happens? Well, that's called the intermediate state and there's lots of theories about it, but not a lot of certainty. And why? Because the Bible says hardly anything about it at all. It's fuzzy. The focus is all on the new heavens and the new earth. That's clear. We can see that throughout the Bible. But let's look at some brief passages and think about what the intermediate state might be. So there's a thief on the cross in Luke 22, and Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. So whatever the intermediate state is, it's paradise for believers, and we're with Jesus Paul in 2 Corinthians says it's better to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we'll be with Jesus, but we won't have our resurrected bodies yet. And then Revelation 6, 9, there's a picture under the altar of the souls of those who've been slain martyrs for Jesus because of the word of God. And they're waiting for Jesus to come and make everything new again. Uh, It's not very clear. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) That's all we can know about the intermediate state. From what we can, I guess, infer from that, that it's probably a disembodied experience of paradise with Jesus for believers. Now, does this mean we get to reside in heaven while we wait for the new creation? We're not sure. The Bible doesn't say. We can ponder, we can imagine, but in the end... We should still focus on what the Bible focuses on, which is our eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. The other quick thing I wanted to touch on is hell. Uh, It's not the focus of this talk, but when we're talking eternal destiny, this should get a mention as the alternative to living forever in the new creation. There's three major theories of hell. The first one is universalism. That is that after death, even after death, a loving and merciful God will give people a chance to repent and end up in the new creation. And as much as we might want that to be true, 
There's no strong biblical case for this. I'd, I'd write that one off. Then there's uh, annihilation or conditional eternity. And that, that's the view that uh, at our judgment day, when Jesus comes back, everyone who is not on the side of Jesus will get destroyed, annihilated, and their existence will be snuffed out. And there's, there's lots of Bible passages you can look at to that, uh, but there's still the question of where those people are in the intermediate state, lots of questions still. But the third and most traditional view is that unbelievers will be in eternal conscious torment, whether physically or spiritually, for their rejection of God. Both these views we can explore a bit more. I'm happy to chat to you more afterwards if you like. They have some biblical basis, but too much to go into right now. But there's one thing, one thing we can be sure of. And Jesus was really firm on this. The critical point made from the Bible is that hell is a terrible place. It's a horrifying reality that's final and forever. Hell, whatever it is, avoid it at all costs and implore others to do the same. We want people to come and join us in the new creation. That is so much better. So as we focus back on the new creation, I think there's three things for us, three implications. Uh, Because this is a future hope, right? But it affects how we live now. And the first one is the pastoral implications. Quite a number of the survey questions that led to this topic were about loved ones and heaven. And this is where this topic gets, gets very real. Look, it's fine and good to begin imagining our own personal future with Jesus, but what about the people around us that we love so dearly? There are, there are people sitting here today who have lost loved ones recently or for whom death looms large. So these questions about eternal destiny, they gnaw at us. Where is the one I love right now? And where will they be in eternity? These questions come with real pain because death sucks. It's a curse. And so are the grief and pain that comes with it for those of us who are left. So what can we take from this as we've delved into this topic today? We can take real hope. For those who die in Christ, this new heavens and new earth is a real future. We can work through the pain and grief of loss, knowing that in the new heavens and the new earth, we'll be reunited. We'll know each other. We'll have a perfected relationship. Even those closest to us, it'll be even better. That's a wonderful hope to rest in when we're confronted with the curse of death. What's even harder to rest with are those we have lost who've showed no signs of trusting in Jesus in this life. There, There will be judgment when Jesus returns. Those who are not in Christ will go away to an eternal fate that's horrifying. That's hard. It's a stumbling block to some 
And there's lots I could say right now about trusting in the goodness and justice of God and how in the new creation we'll see this even more clearly. But it it might just come across as glib, I realise. I recognise our grief is real and our heart breaks for those we love. So I'd encourage you, regardless of the grief that you're experiencing, that you share it with a brother or sister in Christ. In fact, we, we set up some people today, if you want to chat, some men and women. Uh, down the front, uh, James and I uh, will be here. I answer questions, but also if you just want to chat, want someone to pray with you, there'll be people up the back at the next steps desk. So men and women that you can come and wrestle with this with. So let's do that. And let's do that in, in real ways and bear one another's burdens as we wrestle with the real grief of loss. For us all, though, it's most helpful not to focus on what grieves us, but on the goodness of our God, who has guaranteed our future when he will one day make all things new. The next implication it's practical. Um, we've seen that our future hope is not some disembodied existence. We're not looking to escape this earthly existence. Instead, it's a renewal of all things as heaven and earth come together. That actually means what we do right here and now matters in this body. What we do in our bodies is vitally important as that is our future also, an integrated existence, body and soul, that is our future. One thing we can think about, one thing is our work, what we do for our work. If we're going to work and serve Jesus in the new creation, how can the skills you use and develop here be of use forever? Again, we can start to imagine. We'll be in a heavenly city. Maybe architects will still be needed. Maybe traders will still build and construct stuff. We'll still be in relationship with each other. Maybe teachers will still teach. Maybe we'll still cook for each other. Medical people, well, your job's done. Sorry. <laughs> but, but I'm sure God will still use skills you've developed. And if you, Look, if you've ever wanted to master an instrument, well, the 10,000 hours required for that, no problem in eternity. Let's get on with it. This is going to be good. With all of this, let your imagination run wild and imagine what an embodied eternity will be like and what it means for you and what you do right now. And then there's the missional implications. Eternity is real. The new heavens and earth are a real future, but hell is real too. And so all of this matters for what we do now, so much for those around us who are lost. And they currently have no way of knowing the joy of a true creation. They need God to intervene in their lives, and God chooses to use us in their lives. So let's be willing Let's be out there. This should drive us to a deep compassion for the lost and deep desire to do what we can to help witness to people so God can bring many people from death to life and life eternal. We should even have compassion on our worst enemies, wanting them to know Jesus and know the hope of an eternity with him and us. And look, if you're sitting here today and you... You have not given your life fully to Jesus yet? Come and chat to us. We want to share this with you. We want you to be there with us. 
We'd love to talk to you and introduce you to a Jesus who brings you a hope of a glorious future when heaven and earth will come together. So let's finish by echoing the last words of the Bible. He who testifies to these things say, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. So as we close our eyes in prayer, let us imagine what these new heavens and earth will be like and know that when we close our eyes for the last time in this life, that's our destination, all because of Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord and God, we thank you afresh for Jesus, the true temple who has come to bring heaven to earth, to give us access to you and your presence. And we can know that now, Lord. We can know you now. And we rejoice in that. And Lord, we look forward to the future you have for us. Because this world is still broken. There is still death and pain. But Lord, you are going to come back. Jesus is coming back to make all things new, including us. And we look forward to that day with such joy. Help us live in that hope. Help us rest in that hope. Help us work through the things you have for us because of that hope. And help us be your people now, knowing that in eternity we will be your people forever in a perfected new heavens and new earth. Oh, Lord, come, Lord Jesus, come. We can't wait. In Jesus' name, amen.